0: All right. You can flip back to Philippians cuz that's where we're going to be this morning. Father, thank you, Lord. God, we love your word. Who, it's more precious than gold. Come on. Who. I'm going to say it again. It's more precious than gold. Its value is greater than gold. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. How many know what the entrance of his word brings light? So here's what happens when we're under the word being preached that the light of the gospel gets revealed in our hearts. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Because there's an earnest expectation. There's a pooling of what God wants, of what we you know, when we want from what the Lord has for us. So. I hope you'll receive this morning. Um, you know, I, I want to speak this morning, and the ti- uh, the title, if I, I'm going to give it one, is "One Purpose." One purpose. And as I was just meditating on, on 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 Philippians one and and this chapter, I haven't been able to leave it because God has been just revealing so many things in my heart um, that I think are relevant to us as a church. And, and we see in Paul's example, and then we see in his exhortation what we are called to as the church and the heart of what God wants to do in and through his church. How many know the church is not this building? It's you. Yeah. You are the church. We are the church. Um, now, I know, I know you might still have some... You might still have some leftover tryptophan in your system from the turkey, but can you just give me a shout every once in a while just to get some energy in this place? <laughs> Because for whatever reason I didn't sleep very well, so um, I just know I know that uh, God God is uh, going to do something great this morning. Amen? Amen. Sometimes the less sleep I get, the better it is. Um, not for me, but for you. That's what Paul said: uh, life for you, dying in me. But <laughs> uh, okay, so it's really important that we discover. The God's purpose in our life and I think we would all agree on that but in Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 Paul speaks he says make my joy complete be of the same mind right have the same love for one another and be intent on listen one purpose one purpose and so you're, sit, you're going, well, what is that one purpose? Because each church, I believe every local church has a specific calling, and, and there's a culture in different local churches, that, and it has to do with the culture we're in, and the city that we're called to reach, and the area and the community that we're in. How many believe that? And, I, and what I love is that we're in a community that is represented by many nations. And I'm happy this morning to see many nations represented in our house. Praise God. But... Um, that there's one purpose so what was Paul speaking of in this one purpose and we see it when we begin to get in to uh, the chapter here in a little bit but we have to answer this question in life why am I here why are we here at this time at this hour at this moment at this place do you ever have that thought process I hope so because when we ask that question God will surely with a sincere heart, when we ask that question, God will surely give us a clear answer. But he implies that this local church, the the church at Philippi, has one purpose. And so, I don't know about you, but I have these moments because occasionally I struggle with attention deficit disorder. Anyone else in the house? And maybe you've had this moment where you, you walk to the fridge. Come on. And you open the fridge, and you're almost to the beeping point, you know, when the timer goes off, because you've been standing there so long, and you forgot what you came for. Yeah, you walk in the room, right? I don't, I don't know. These moments seem to be increasing for me. I don't know. Pray for me, brothers and sisters, but especially when you add sleep deprivation, but you have to ask, wait, why am I here? Why am I in this place at this moment? What did I come here for? And so I believe God wants to answer for that for us individually and then corporately, right? Because out of that really springs God's vision and what he wants to do in this season in and through our lives and through our church. So what strikes me about the book of Philippians is that Paul answer, opens this book and he says, he introduces himself and Timothy as bondservants, right? In many of the other books where he's bringing corrective words, he says, I'm an apostle because he's got to establish the authority for the corrective word he's about to give. But this was the church that was near and dear to his heart. He loved these people because they had the heart of God. They were unselfish. They were selfless. They gave. They wanted to be part of everything that God was doing. And so if you don't get anything else this morning, I hope there springs in you a desire to participate in what God's doing. To be a part of it. To go from this place of doing church to being the church. Because it's too easy to do church. But we were called to be the church. Where we have that moment where we wake up and we go, it's not about what I get. But the gospel is about what I can give in response to what he's given to me. Because when I wake up in the reality of what's already mine in Christ Jesus, I'm not lacking anything. Ephesians says that I have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Whew every spirit i'm not lacking and then it says in second peter chapter one that grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of him and it says that through him the knowledge of him we have everything pertaining to life and godliness we're not lacking anything everything we need everything we need and so guess what when you get the revelation of that and you have this trust that god meets every need in your life then you can focus and become a giver and there's an outflow in your life because god calls you to be a river not a pond there's a flow in and there's a flow out out of you shall flow rivers of living water not stagnant gross pond water come on somebody But when it's flowing, when you're receiving and you're giving and you're in the flow of the Lord, there is a life in it. Amen? All right. Told you I need some shouts this morning. It'll help me. Okay. In times of crisis, tribulation, trials, we are forced to answer some tough questions. And the first one is our why. But I want you to see Paul writes this letter. It's about 61, 63 AD. It's about 13 years after the church was first established. He was facing the uncertainty of this court battle or this uh, time in court with Caesar, and he didn't know what would happen. He didn't know if he would be executed. He didn't know if he would be released, but he didn't care because either way, Christ would be magnified in his body. I love Paul's mentality. We need some of that. Come on. And it says that this, I love this, and, and I've said this before, but one of my favorite passages because he says in chapter 1 verse 12, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That my circumstances, now think of this, they say that the prison he was in is underground and there's a grate on top and he's able to visit with people, but it's not great. Come on. This is not the Hilton He's chained up, and in these circumstances, he was there for two years, waiting his appearance before Caesar, and under these circumstances, he was under house arrest, and they would bring in the Roman Praetorian guard, and they would take 24-hour shifts and take turns, and they're chained to Paul. Are you with me? Now, what's it like to be chained to the greatest apostle of all time for 24 hours? Come on. This is the Paul whose earth-shaking praise broke open some prison doors. This is the Paul who says, I pray in tongues more than you all. Come on. So he was a little bit fanatical. And here's the prison guard who has to live with this guy. And how many know he's not going to miss his opportunity to share the gospel? I got this guy stuck with me. He is stuck with me. That's like you on the airplane and they're stuck with you. He's stuck with me, and I'm going to share the gospel, and I'm going to, and his life is going to be transformed. And guess what? That person's life would be transformed. And this Praetorian elite imperial guard, their life would be transformed. They would touch their families, and it began to spread. Revival begins to spread throughout the Praetorian guard, the witness of the gospel. And it's because, he says, my circumstances have turned out for the prog- greater progress of the gospel. What would happen if we had that mentality? What would happen if the next time you're stuck in traffic or something, you start thinking this way? What ha- would happen if you're stuck in a line at Walmart? Come on. How can these circumstances, I, end? I got a flat tire on the side of the freeway. What would happen if my mentality changes? Oh God, what another great opportunity to turn for the progress of the gospel. It just challenges me. To have a different perspective, a different mindset on life. Because I have one purpose. And for Paul, that purpose was for Christ to be magnified in his life. Christ to be magnified in my life. No matter what I'm going through. He could be content in little or much. Because it didn't matter. His much came from Christ. And so, here we are. He's preaching to the guards. Revival's happening. Come on. And he's impacting those who are attached to him. So let's go to verse 19 and 20. So he's encouraging them. He's saying, Look, the brothers have become more bold because of the testimony of my chains, right? This is having a positive impact. So don't be discouraged because I'm stuck here for two years, Philippi. I know you care about me. I know you're praying for me. Come on. I know you're striving with me for the gospel. I know you're participating in what God's doing but but just know this that good things are happening in spite of me being in this prison cell he says for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance the second thing that will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope how many have some hope this morning how many need some hope this morning? Come on. You, you, the Bible says that in Hebrews 6 that his hope is an anchor for our soul behind the veil. Come on. Yes. That even when your ship is rocky and you're going through some crazy seas and all that, you still have hope because there's an anchor. According to my earnest expectation and hope. Oh, Steve Sampson has a book called Those Who Expect Nothing Will Get Nothing. Are you with me? So we actually have to live in a state of expectation and hope because we have a God who is good and we have a hope no matter what's going on in this world. That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Look, we have a temporary Earth suit, and God has chosen to be glorified in and through it when we allow Him to be. My body. He's given his body. That's what he meant in Romans 12:2 when he says, "It's a living sacrifice. My body is not mine. I've been purchased with a very, very expensive blood price." It's got his mark. He's got the deed and the title. It's not mine anymore. It's his. It's his. So I can't use it for, uh, to be an instrument of unrighteousness, but now I'm becoming an instrument of righteousness. Come on. God's like, I'm just looking for somebody who's available, who will actually take my word and believe it and let me live in and through them. Then he says this, I want you to get this: "For me, to live is Christ and, die is, and to die is gain." Okay, he's in this struggle. And he, he talks about his stu- struggle. He says, "If I'm going to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor." We had this moment this morning. D.J. and Sebastian and Megan were having a parental moment. I noticed it. DJ invited Sebastian to come up and get a drumstick, I think, or something, and Megan didn't know that, so Megan was telling him, nope, nope, come back. So Sebastian's like, who do I listen to? Do I listen to her or him? I don't know, I I wanna obey my parents, he was so sweet. But I could see Paul, he struggled, he's like, oh, I wanna be with Jesus. To be with Jesus, to be with my Savior, my Lord, in his presence. To see those who've gone on before me. He's the one I live for. And I can be close and being with him. But then I know they need me. They need me. They need me. I can't just take off. Then he says, I know because you still need me, I'm sticking around. I want you to see this. Because we're in a moment where there's probably a lot of Christians saying, "Oh, it's counting down the time. Jesus is coming out of here." Out of here. And can I just be honest, don't get mad at me, please? The reason we have that mentality is we don't understand the gospel. It's not so that you can just pray a prayer and go to heaven and just hang out and survive till that time comes right, right, that's right. no see you were purchased and when he says he died for all but all died in him we died so that we might live no longer what for ourselves but for him who died for us christ. so that's why paul says for me to live is christ for me to live is christ It's his motivation. It's his means. Christ is his means, his source, his strength, everything he needs. And he's his end. You see, what's happened in Western Christianity is we've said, I'm going to incorporate God into my life. It's going to be my life plus Jesus. That don't work. And that's why you're not experiencing the fullness. Because you're holding back. Are you with me this morning? Because when you give yourself wholly to him, that's when you experience the fullness of him. It's all about the vacancy in our life. If I've died for Christ, he says... It is no. Paul said, "I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God." Are you with me? What's the crucified life looks like? It's not about me anymore. See, for some it might be. For me to live is money. For me to live is success. For me to live is happiness. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is fun. Good times, family, self. What is it? We have to answer this question. Is the center of my life Christ? Because we've moved, we've shifted away from the mentality of the early church. This, these Christians at Philippi gave it all. Notice that they, I'll go back to 2 Corinthians 8, because it says before they gave their gifts, they had first given themselves holy to the Lord and holy to the ministry. Like, Pastor, oh boy, you're getting fanatical. No, this is normal Christianity. The problem is we've drifted. We've drifted. We've lowered the price. You guys, there's no Black Friday deal on this. Come on, somebody. It's all or nothing. And you won't regret, come on, somebody, you won't regret giving it. Whew. So how do we fulfill this one purpose? All right, I'm going to move fast. Philippians 1.27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, look at that. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ if we only understood that our conduct is a message our conduct is a message because the moment the world saw that you were marked the moment the world saw that you were his they're like what's this about is it real So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Oh, let that be the message of our church. Come on. The testimony of our church. Look at that. That's so beautiful. How many want that report card? So how do we fulfill our one purpose? Number one, being good citizens. This word, conduct, refers to citizenship. And he used it intentionally. Why? Because the people of Philippi were very proud, as they should have been, of their Roman citizenship. So he's appealing to them to to a higher citizenship. You're going to understand the language I'm speaking to you because you prize your Roman citizenship, but I'm going to speak to you of a higher heavenly citizenship. Greater than your Roman citizenship. Now I'm talking to some Americans this morning. Have we elevated? Some of you won't get this, but... Bear with me. I talked to my friend Pastor Cleve. Love that man. And he shares a testimony. He says, I'm praying in the Spirit. And as I'm praying in the Spirit, eyes closed, I'm just focused on the Lord. The Lord shows me this and I see this word, federalism. And it goes from top to bottom, goes away. And the Lord says, I'm removing this out of my church. Why? No, it's not that we shouldn't be patriots. Come on. Thank God for America. Thank God for the opportunity. Thank God we can worship here today, even though, well, uh, somewhat. Thank God. But what he was saying was they've put that citizenship above the heavenly one. Yes, you should value both, Amen. But we can't put this citizenship above that one. We live here. We live out of this citizenship, this identity of who we are in heaven, Amen. Yes, we have the benefits of that citizenship, but we also, with those benefits of kingdom citizenship, comes a, a, a responsibility because you are an ambassador of His kingdom. Everywhere you go, you represent his kingdom. Everywhere you go, you represent the gospel. Oh, you got quiet. Everywhere you go. Listen, there was was a while back where I I said, I told my wife, I can't put a fish on my car. (laughs) Because what if I cut somebody off? That's a bad testimony for the gospel. (laughs) Hey, you guys put fish on your cars, but God bless you. Um, Um, but it's to say this, that everything I do is representing his kingdom and his gospel. And if I live with that mindset, it changes things, doesn't it? I have to conduct myself in the workplace different. I have to conduct myself in my family as a ambassador. Maybe you had to spend some time this week with some unsaved family. I'm sure less than ten. <laughs> um, but you had to be an ambassador in that moment. Do you see yourself, or are you just like, we're just getting, we're gonna get through this thing? Or do you see it like Paul? Oh, my circumstances have given me. Turned out for the progress of the gospel. Ooh, God, give us that mentality. Come on. So there was a story recently of this American tourist, and it was, I'm going to kid you not, it was in the newspaper. He was, no, not newspaper, news site. I don't even get a newspaper anymore. In Rome, doing this tourist thing. And come on, if we're honest Americans, we can be crazy tourists. Think that we own everything. Come on. And he goes and he took a piece of the Colosseum. Now, how many know that didn't reflect well on our nation? In our friend Italy's eyes, right? So, but it's an example, but as you go and as you're representing the kingdom, what is the reputation, what is the testimony, are we living in a way that's worthy of the gospel? That's how Paul lived, um, and there's. I just want to say this, and I say this as p- weeping, lamenting heart, because there's been many things happening in the body of Christ recently where very elevated, well-known ministers are falling, and we shouldn't stand there and go. Ur. We should weep. because it's a reproach to the gospel it's a reproach to his kingdom it should be a reminder of how important it is and our responsibility as a citizen of this kingdom to bear witness and to live in a way that's worthy of his gospel amen the message Are we representing the message? Because I want you to think how glorious this gospel is. That God sent his only begotten son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Come on. To fulfill the law. Are you with me? To live a sinless, perfect life. Become a sacrifice. Suffer. Suffer. On our behalf. If that doesn't shake your world every morning, every day, that he suffered. And when I say worthy of the gospel, this word worthy is like, it's like a balance. Considering the price he's paid for my life, am I living worthy of that? Well, I can't ever earn it. But I can certainly live in eternal gratitude and in a way that pleases him in response the message of redemption that we were bought back and we were brought back to our original value come on that is the gospel and 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 it's that we might no longer live for ourselves this is the part see we make it about getting to heaven but you were never meant to die that's how that was god's original plan are you with me this morning It was sin that interrupted that plan. It was man's choice that interrupted that plan. He ate from that tree he should not have. But we were always meant to live forever, so he restores us back to that. And if you have that mentality that this little stretch of time that we find ourselves in on earth is our one opportunity to do something for his kingdom and to make the most of it, it changes your perspective. Number two, he says in verse 27 that you are standing firm in one spirit. So, one, we're good citizens, and two, we're standing firm. This standing firm is steco, to persist, to persevere in godliness. Oh, to persevere in godliness and rectitude. Do you know that's actually what grace is about? In Titus 2, this grace has appeared bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to fear God. Yes. Teaching us to fear. It's not that we can just keep, messing, you know, just keep messing up and that's the grace. Yes, God will forgive you. God will forgive you, But he wants you to actually walk in his ways, and he's given the grace to empower you. Grace is the operational power of God to transform you. So that you're no longer like that. Those desires are changed. I don't want to do the things I used to want to do. I can look back at my BC days and go, yep, that wasn't me. That was someone else. That was an old man. He's passed away. He's been buried. He's in the waters of baptism. I'm a new creation. I'm a new life. I have new life in Christ Jesus. That's not me. I don't even identify with that anymore. I can't even recognize that man. I tell my wife, I'm so glad you didn't meet me in those days. I'm so glad you didn't meet me in those days. You probably would have moved on. I was a punk. Standing firm, holding on to what we believe. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions. So what is standing firm? It's like this warfare terminology. It is a picture of an army advancing to the gates and us keeping our ground. How many know that Jesus has already won the battle And our job to stand firm is to not cede any ground to the enemy. He wants to take what's already ours. Are you with me? He wants to deceive you into giving up what God's already given you. So he says, stand firm, church. You know the attack is coming. You know he's coming after you. But he said, that means, one, hold on to what we believe. Everything we believe right now is being challenged, and it's only going to get worse. You better know what you believe. Second Thessalonians 2 15 says, so then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions which were taught whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold fast to those. I'm not talking about the traditions of man. These were the traditions from the Lord in the church. There's some things that can't change. Are you with me this morning? There's some things that can't change. And we tend to give up ground. You know, the methods may change, but the message never changes. The message never changes. Don't give up what you believe. I don't care what the world says about marriage. God established it between a man and a woman. Come on. I don't care what the world says about morality or even my family or anybody else says about morality. His word is above that. Don't give in. Don't give up ground. Hold fast. Standing fast means keeping faith. I love what Jesus said to Simon. He said, Simon in Luke 22, 31 through 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that you, your faith may not fail. Come on. Oh, I'm so thankful Jesus has prayed for us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's at the right hand of the Father. And you, when you once have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan wants to sift you. He wants to take you out. He's going to try to weary the saints. He's going to try to take your faith down. That's his strategy. But you know what I believe in more? The prayer of Jesus. He's prayed for us. But if we know the attack, don't give in on your faith. And then, Thirdly, standing firm means keeping unity. He says to be of one spirit. The the source of being of one spirit is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, it says one. Verse 3 says being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to see it's preserving. It's keeping something that we already have through the Holy Spirit. Keeping it. Don't give it up. Don't let anything come between you and other believers. Be diligent about it. You think they're offended, you go to them. You know your brother has offense with you. You leave your gift at the altar and you go make it right because I can't be right with God if I'm not right with my brother. I'm going to be diligent and vigilant to make sure there's nothing that comes between me and another believer. I'm not going to believe the enemy's report against another believer. I'm going to stand and defend. He's the accuser of the brethren. I will not agree with him. Come on. My first response when I hear rumors or slander or gossip should be to defend and then shut their mouth. Oh, but we like those tailbearer biscuits, don't we? They're just yummy. I just want to hear news. You know why? Because we're going to get the attention off ourselves. Log out of the eye. Keep the unity. Oh, you guys got quiet, I hope. I hope you still love me. One mind, also translated soul. The seat of will and purpose. He says to be of one mind, one heart, one purpose. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm privileged to be part of a ministry called Sentinel Group. The Sentinel Group. George Otis, Jr. And they have documented all these revivals around the world. But most of those revivals are occurring outside of Western culture. Why? Because we're very independent, aren't we? we like our rights we like our rights yes thank god for our rights but guess what when i gave my life to christ i gave him all those and so it's hard for us to come into one purpose but i believe god's going to do it through our hearts come on somebody it starts with the work of the Holy Spirit to, as we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the saints in the bond of peace that he begins to work in Us because it's the same spirit come on somebody one spirit one baptism one Lord one faith He's working in all of us and he's awakening our hearts to the same thing That's why that's why we'll, we'll you might be praying for the service last night And you knew some of this message because the same Holy Spirit talking to you was talking to me It's one spirit And he brings our hearts together. It's beautiful. Acts 4.32. This, this, by the way, was one of the secrets of the power and the effectiveness of the early church. It says in Acts 4.32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. Whoa. You're like, oh, I was all with you, pastor, but then you said that part. (laughs) But all things were common property. To them some of you got excited and said oh I get somebody else's stuff <laughs> I'm, I'm playing I know you I know you guys are saints come on when all of us yield to the Holy Spirit he leads us to a common purpose even Paul had to address this issue of disunity in the Philippi church in, in Philippians 4, 1 and 2, he says, Hey, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. These were two wonderful women, but they weren't getting along. Live in harmony. I urge you to live in harmony. Come on, somebody. There's a greater, see, when you get hold of this one purpose, That causes you to get past your issues. Are you with me? When Christianity becomes outward, these issues decrease. Because I'm now aware of the message and the grace of the gospel. His grace for me, I can't judge you because I know what he's done for me. But I can pray for you. I can intercede for you. I can love you. I can stand with open arms even though you're running away. I can have the heart of the Father towards the prodigal because I know I was a prodigal. I know that was me one day running back to the house. Come on, somebody. And he says in verse 28, I'm almost there. In no way alarmed by your opponents Which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God Man, I won't call any names out because I got off Facebook for most part (laughs) I'm just gonna say sometimes I read my feed and I'm like man Christians are way alarmed about some stuff But look what he says the lack of intimidation is a message to them of their own destruction come on we give way and we give in to that intimidation that fear factor from the enemy and we start to get worked up paul didn't even think this way remember he's like well i'm in prison i might die i might live whatever Christ be magnified. If they can't, if you're not afraid of death, they can't do anything. Come on. If you've given him your all, they can't take anything. Come on. What if we lived, I heard a preacher say this and this just struck my heart. What if we lived with a mentality that you owe me nothing. Nobody owes me anything. Nobody owes me anything. Because it says, owe nobody anything but love. What if I had that mentality? But if I live with, you owe me this or you owe me that. Come on, somebody. There's room for bitterness. There's room for resentment. There's room for all these things that shouldn't be in my heart. But if I know that God's given me everything, I I don't have to worry about what you owe me. It can be written off because he's written off what i owed him come on somebody he's written off the debt that i owed he paid the debt that i owed he paid you're free you're free if nobody owes you anything they owe me an apology you just seen the way they looked at me the other day at church come on Man, if I looked at you wrong, I promise it was ADD. Come on, <laughs> it was something else. But there's 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 people just living with this debt. God, it's, oh, it's just keeping you from freedom. All right, I don't know where I was at. Number three, he says, strive together or contend together. Contend together in this one purpose Whoo and it's it's an athletic term metaphor. I Love sports. So this is good for me Right How many know the if a team's gonna be successful the morale of that team the focus of that team Has to be there They have to be aligned on one common purpose to win to win they have to know that each person has a part to play in it and that they can't win unless each person plays their part the way they're supposed to the best they can man some of your sports i'm just going to go off the rails on the sports thing for just a moment seahawks were doing terrible on defense some of you know what i'm saying they were struggling. It was not good. They were on record pace for terrible. <laughs> and offense was good, but the, there was many reasons for it. We won't go into that. A, that's a long time. And I'm not the expert. But then, they, then there was a report. They had this team meeting. And this team meeting apparently changed things. Because they had each person in the room go around and say what their part was and who they were responsible to and that sense of ownership of accountability of responsibility of being a part of something bigger than themselves of not seeking their own glory but seeking the good of the team that changed things And it changes things in the church when we get hold of this revelation to contend together, not contend with each other, not contend with other churches. Come on, somebody. But contend together. Strive together. I'm almost done. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Wow. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Now I want you to say, notice the way he says it. Now weeping. They're not our enemies. They may be enemies of the cross. They're not our enemies. I'm weeping for them. But there's opposition. I'm telling you, church, we're in a season where opposition's going to increase. And as a pastor, I want you to be ready. I don't want your faith to fail. I want you to stand and be stand firm. God wants us to stand and stand firm in the midst of it. What happens when persecution increases? I don't know. But I believe it greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world right now, man greater is he and i also know this in some of the places of the world where the opposition and persecution is the greatest there is the greatest outpouring and revival going on i'm not saying persecution is good it's not good but i'm saying that doesn't stop god from moving And it probably reminds us of what really matters. It gets us back to what's our one purpose, really. Why don't we have that reminder before that thing comes? Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about common salvation, I felt necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. We have to contend. We cannot be passive. We cannot sit back. This isn't a spectator sport. We have to engage because the enemy is trying to take it. There's no room for selfish ambition on the team in, in Philippians 2.2. 2, look, he says, you know what selfish ambition is? Do you know what c- vain conceit is? It is to seek what you want. There is a godly ambition. And the godly ambition drives us to seek the purpose of God. And to do it in a godly way, and not about us, but about Him. About his kingdom, about his purpose, about his will. As selfish ambition seeks to elevate ourselves. Let me just tell you something. We're not here to make Christ the Rock famous, we're here to make Jesus famous. We're here to make him famous. We're here to lift up his name. And guess what? If you haven't noticed, we believe in teams. We're a team ministry. And there's a reason for that. Because I believe the voice of the Lord is as many waters. I also believe in fivefold ministry. That we need the apostolic, the prophetic, the teaching, the evangelistic, the pastoral. We need all of them functioning, amen, to be who God's called us to be. And so, yeah, you're going to hear many voices from this pulpit because we want to hear the Lord. And I went to sleep occasionally. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> One purpose. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Praise God. Oh, I'm excited, church. How many believe our best is still in front of us? How many believe we have not seen anything yet? How many believe this morning that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him? Oh, let's just pray in the spirit. Let's release this thing this morning, church. That we are citizens of heaven the identity of heaven this morning if you're here this morning and you need to come into that citizenship (laughs) you need to believe on his name you need to repent and turn from your ways and say God I want you to make you Lord of my life I want you to lead you're the Lord of all I want you to be my Lord of everything. I give you myself. I give you my life. I make you Lord, and I avail myself to you and to your purpose to be a part of what you want to do, Jesus, in and through my life, in and through your church. I identify with your church, with your body. I'm not a lone ranger, but I'm a part of your body. I'm a part of the team of the kingdom of God I just heard my spirit this and it might sound funny to you but I (laughs) there comes a time in the basketball game Val knows this where it's time for the sixth man it's time for that guy who comes off the bench and begins to shift the game shift the momentum that person has a distinct purpose they know they don't start the game but they are critical to the success and I feel like we're in an hour where there's some people who have been on the bench that God's calling you off the bench he's calling you to the court I don't know what it is but part of being a part of the team is this it's a willingness because we didn't go here but Paul says have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus who did not consider it robbery to leave his throne paraphrase I should read the whole thing but, but he became a servant he gave up Paul introduces himself servant dulos bond servant one who willingly gives himself to the lord and to his purpose and to his plan no longer their own their ears been pierced they are his willingly out of love not out of bondage not out of slavery but given willingly. Maybe you've been in church a long time and haven't had that moment. And you know what's even greater than a sponsor servant is a son or a daughter, but we have to have this mentality. Have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus I'm willing to do whatever you ask God because my ambition is your kingdom your purpose your glory your fame in the earth that's my one purpose to advance your kingdom if that's you and you need to surrender your heart you just say God I want to give myself as a bond servant to you no conditions No conditions, God, I'm giving myself wholly to you, if that's you, just lift your hand and pray right now. Father, we thank you. Giving ourselves as a living sacrifice this morning. No more my way, but your way, Jesus. As that old song goes, I did it my way, (laughs) and that didn't work. That way led to death it seemed right but it led to death i want to do it your way now jesus i want to live for you i want to be yours holy god those areas of my life this morning that i have not given i have not surrendered jesus i'm giving it to you right now or maybe you're here and you're saying there's things that have come between me and other people and i've have been holding debts i've been holding unforgiveness bitterness just release it right now in Jesus' name. Say, I owe them nothing. I owe, they owe me nothing, I should say. They owe me nothing. I release them right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, it's possible because we serve a God of the impossible to actually live that way. It's possible to not be offended because your heart is so in tune with God's heart. You're, not no, you're no longer looking for what's wrong, but you're looking for Him. <laughs> That's what changes. You're looking for Him. Who should you release this morning? If you're watching on the live stream, Father, I just pray for each and every person listening to this, who are watching this. Come on, church, let's just pray over them. Father, there's people that have been on the per, uh, on the. Perimeter God, but they're being called in father. We just call them in from the east from the west from the south from the north Into your purpose into your plan into your kingdom God Thank you Lord that you are saving God we thank you for your grace that has been Appeared Lord bringing salvation to all men that the gift of salvation Father, I just pray hearts would be open this morning. Each and every person watching or listening to the sound of my voice would receive your gift, would believe, would turn and put their trust and their hope in you this morning. For those of you who are here, I feel this. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm thinking, I don't. I feel like there's a release this morning of gifts and you know, just a stirring of gifts and callings. And if that's you, you just need to respond. I'm not gonna lay hands on you. We're just gonna pray over you right here. Just come up here. There's something that's been stirring in your heart this morning that God wants you to respond to. Just come up here and we're just gonna pray over the group.